Everyone can turn their mics off. Great. Welcome everyone to today's class. We're continuing with chapter 20, the Supreme Reality. This is the last portion of this chapter. Does anyone have any questions? So from the last class, just the last couple of paragraphs, we said that the mind runs around in all directions. It is all over the place. That's why we say sometimes it's called a monkey mind. So we give it some Vedantic knowledge. The mind then reacts with the knowledge. This allows the mind to settle down. It stabilizes. The intellect can control it. Once during that situation, with the knowledge, you negate the unreal and assert the real. What is unreal? What is unreal? How are we supposed to assert the real? How are we supposed to uh, negate the unreal? What is the unreal? The world is, is unreal. Is it the unknown? And the world, the known. The unknown is real. Unreal is something that's um, forever changing. Well, when what is that? The world. We are always changing. The world is always changing. The world is different today from it was last week. Why? England won the semi-final. This is the unreal. It's always changing. What is real then? As Vijayabhai said, the unknown is real. And we need to get to know that. This is why you're here in these classes. So you can get to know the unknown. Very relevant today in today's class, actually. So you negate the unreal, which is the world, and assert the real, which is the self, Brahman, God. This world, everything in it is Brahman, God. I am not this body, mind, intellect. I am the self. That's the reality. So we continue to do this little meditation. Continue to do this with little knowledge. Every day keeps the intellect in charge of the mind. Then you practice meditation for a few minutes every day. Slowly but surely, you become established in the truth. 
and then eventually you become one with the truth, the self. So this is our goal in life. This is what you're learning from these classes. So the supreme reality, this chapter, we're trying to understand what God is. We said it's very difficult for our intellect to grasp the concept of God. It's the unknown. We don't know God. It is very subtle. In the last few classes, we've been exploring the idea with the help of the descriptions given out by these great sages, these great self-realized souls. This is what we're trying to, to learn. The Upanishad is the accounts of self-realized souls, the highest knowledge known to man. And these self-realized souls, from their own experience, they try to explain what God is. But even then it is difficult for us. Language fails them. So they try to explain by giving examples from the world, give examples from the world to try and explain what God is. In today's class, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try and, it's quite deep. We're going to try and understand what Brahman is, what God is, to take us from the known to the unknown. If you get today's class, you, you get one step closer to knowing what God is. So please feel free to stop me and ask questions, yeah? We don't understand anything. Any questions? So, yeah, I don't know. Um, are you able to explain, just sort of recap about meditation, please? About the what, sorry? Meditation. Meditation? So, yeah, just briefly, please. So, what is meditation, first of all? To, general people, to gen generalize meditation, what is meditation? But to focus on the higher and on God, to think about God. So, meditation is meditating on one particular thought, whatever that thought may be. That's the basics of meditation. One thought while excluding all other thoughts. It takes time. When you do the some of you may, I don't know if any of you have been on the Vipassana 10 days meditation course. Myself and Sittal has been. First four days, they don't teach you meditation. They just tell you to sit there quietly because the mind is going everywhere. Just to concentrate on your breathing. That's it. On the fourth day, end of the fourth day, they teach you the technique of meditation because by then the mind has settled down a bit. So... Meditation is keeping your thoughts on one, keeping your mind on one thought. The intellect helps in doing that. So when we say meditation, as far as self-realization is concerned, that one thought is on Om. We say Om. Om represents Brahman, God. So you meditate on that one thought. while at the same time understanding this knowledge to assert the reality which is Om, negating the unreal which is the world. I am the self, I am not this body-mind intellect. 
I want to become one with the self, my true personality, the reality of who I really am. And then you meditate. Is that okay? Or no? In in a simple terms, that's the only way I can answer. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Okay. But the, the basic is keeping the mind focused on one thought. Intellect helps do that. Whenever the mind fluctuates, the intellect brings it back to that thought. That's why we need a developed intellect to be able to do that, to be able to meditate. Yeah. So, idea of any other questions? Idea of Trinity. What is this Trinity? Ravi. Idea of Trinity. Brahman is transcendental. While human experiences are confined to the terrestrial realm, your body, mind, and intellect cannot reach the transcendental. You are not able to conceive Brahman. It is not possible to describe Brahman. Even in the terrestrial realm, you find it difficult to express subtle themes. Physical experiences are relatively easy to communicate to another. If you have seen the Taj Mahal or the Eiffel Tower, you are able to express its beauty and majesty. You are able to put it in words, to describe it. But when you wish to communicate feeling and emotion of the mind, you find it rather difficult to do so. Sometimes you do not find words to express them. You need a Matthew Arnold to do that. How magnificently has he captured the vivid emotions of a father and son in his poem, Sorab and Rustam. When it comes to thought and idea, the intellect finds it extremely difficult to communicate. Language becomes virtually inadequate. That explains why signs and symbols are used to convey scientific and mathematical ideas. The subtler the theme, the greater the difficulty in expression. What he's saying is that we're not able to conceive Brahman, we're not able to understand Brahman. It is transcendental, it's beyond the realms of the world. Transcendental means beyond the world. We contact the world with our body, mind and intellect. They only function in the terrestrial world, not beyond. And that's the reason why we find it difficult. We're not equipped. Therefore, it's very difficult to grasp these concepts of God because it's beyond the world. We don't have the equipment. Brahman, God, is too subtle to be expressed. That's why we have to wreck our brains to understand what is God. It's not possible to describe Brahman or understand Brahman, God, with our limited equipments. We have some vague ideas, but that's it. As mentioned before, even worldly things can be difficult to explain. Physical objects, for example, are easier to explain. It's given example there. You see the Niagara Falls. You go to see the Niagara Falls, you come back and your friend asks, what was it like? I've never been there. 
you can explain relatively easily. It's a large mass of water that falls down 100 feet, waterfall. You describe the noise it makes, the mist it creates in the air, the feeling of exhilaration it creates within. It's breathtaking, you say. Your friends get an idea of what Niagara Falls is. Yeah? Just from that description, I've never been. But you get an idea of what Niagara Falls is. Then there's more subtle things like emotions, feelings, love, sorrow, what you felt when your child was born. How do you explain that feeling? It's so difficult to explain, isn't it, that feeling? When your child is born, from a mother or father's perspective, how is it to explain to someone how you felt? First time you fell in love, how do you explain that feeling? We don't, I don't want to know, yeah? I'm just asking yourself, how did it feel? People write poems, songs to express that feeling of love because it's difficult to express. When there's death of a loved one, how do you explain the pain is that you're feeling? It's very difficult for the intellect to convey in words what you're feeling. Words are not enough to express that pain. If you get a chance, whoever's got the poems book, read that poem, Shorab and Rustam, explains the love a father has for a son. It's quite a long poem, but read it. It'll give you some idea how, it, what it takes to express that feeling of love. So those are feelings, mind and intellect. Mind, you can't express. Then you come to things like scientific, mathematical concepts. You can't explain it in words. So they use signs, symbols to explain. They use a sign to represent a large number, pi, represent a number that's reoccurring, 3.14, blah, 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 which goes and on. You can't write that number, it's too long. So they use a sign. Many different mathematical signs. Am I right? Sorry. Mathematician. Am I right? Signs. So how are we supposed to explain what God is? How are we supposed to explain what God is, which is subtler than everything? How can we explain? How can we understand? with our limited capacity. You see the dilemma? You see the dilemma? That's why you have to keep coming to these classes. Maybe you'll understand, maybe you'll understand a little bit. Slowly, slowly it seeps in. So this is the problem. Any questions? Okay, you're all, you're all with me before we move on because it's really important, yeah? To be able to understand today's class. Okay, next paragraph, uh, Ravi. Brahman, being subtler than the subtlest, defies all expression. Language breaks down completely. It is impossible to capture Brahman in words. However, enlightened sages have employed ingenious methods to express the inexplicable. One of their attempts is the idea of trinity. They described God in three facets, 
as kashara, perishable, akshara, imperishable, and uttama purusha, supreme being in the Bhagavad Gita, as son, holy ghost, and father, respectively, in the Bible. Thank you, Ravi. Well done. Pronouncing the words. So he said in the last paragraph, it's difficult to understand what God Brahman is. So these great sages, these self-realized sages, they devise this idea of Trinity to explain God. Trinity means three. So in the Gita, chapter 15, God is described as Shara Akshara Uttama Purusha. Shara Akshara Uttama Purusha. Simply, it means perishable, imperishable, and the supreme being. Shara means perishable. Akshara means imperishable. And Uttama Purusha means beyond the two, the supreme being. Those three words to describe Brahman. How? How does that describe Brahman? We're going to find out in the next few paragraphs. First of all, does everyone understand what perishable means? It's quite simple. Perishable means not permanent. Has a shelf life. It perishes. You buy some apples in the supermarket. It says eat within this many days. Why? Because it perishes. So imperishable means no shelf life, does not die. It's permanent, imperishable. In the Bible, it says, the Son, the Holy Ghost, the Father in heaven, Trinity. Son was Jesus Christ who was crucified, the body perished, hence perishable. Holy Ghost, the spirit, not perishable. Imperishable. And Father in heaven is the supreme being. Idea of Trinity. Does it make sense? Anyone, anyone need any clarification? You just have to remember, perishable, imperishable, Supreme Being. Joshnabin, clear? Okay, it's important that we have any clarifications you ask them before we move on. Ravi. The sages adopted the fundamental principle of education in the explanation of the Supreme God which means proceeding from the known to the unknown. What is best known to humanity is the world. First, they pointed to the world and said, that is God. People then attributed the qualities of the world to God, understood the perishable, changing world to be God. To remove this misconception, they clarified that God is not the gross, perishable world, but the imperishable, changeless substanum which supports it. Leading to the conclusion that God is confined to the perimeters of the world. 
Hence, they introduced the third concept of God as the supreme being, extending beyond the perishable and imperishable. This is how we understand God. These next two paragraphs will give you the understanding of God. Even in the descriptions we gave in the last few classes, really does not help if you're honest. We mentioned God is formless. God is attributeless. God is infinite love. Infinite mercy. It doesn't mean anything to us. We can't understand infinite. They're just words. Words, words. Doesn't really help us to understand what God is. It still goes over our head. Isn't it? So the sages, they try to educate the knowledge of God from the known to the unknown. Why is that? Why is it from the known to the unknown? We've mentioned many times in class. Why is education from the known to the unknown? Any ideas? All knowledge should be given out from the known to the unknown. Give you an example. You lose one shoe. You can't find it. You ask your child, have you seen the other shoe? He says, it's in the cupboard. No, I looked there. It is not there. Mom, I saw it there. Where is it in the cupboard? You know where the umbrella stand is next to it. You understand, you know where the umbrella stand is. So you go there next to the umbrella stand is your shoe in the cupboard. Known to the unknown. If you have an unknown, it cannot take you anywhere. Another example. You're meeting your friend. Let's say you're meeting a friend in Marlow, near us. Meeting your friend in Marlow. You've never been there. He says, I'll be in the Starbucks. Meet me in the Starbucks. But you don't know where Starbucks is. Where is Starbucks? He says, next to McDonald's. But you don't know where Mackie D is. They say it's opposite the train station. Then you know. Why? Because you're traveling by train. Known to the unknown. You come out the train station, it's opposite. Now you know where it is. Everyone with me? So what do we know? To get to the unknown God, what do we know? What do we all know? Vanita? We know through the knowledge we can get, we can find the unknown through the knowledge. From the knowledge, yes. What else? What do we all know? All of us. If we want to go from the known to the unknown, what do we all know? 
what did we say? Assert the reality, negate the unreal. What do we know? Yeah, Limpo. That this world is unreal. Just we the know first that. two words is enough. Just the this first world. two words, the world, thank you. We all know the world. You're right, Dimple. We all know the world, don't we? We all know the world, correct? So they first said, the world is God. We all know the world. So they said, this world is God. This world, everything in it, all the qualities, the air, the mountains, the oceans, all the creatures, all of us, it is all God. So we can understand relatively, okay, this world is God. I know what God is, it's this world, correct? This world is God, great, now I know. But it gives the misunderstanding that God is perishable. Because this world is perishable. God is changing because the world is changing. If he gives this misunderstanding, God is perishable. Because everything in the world is changing. This world is based on pairs of opposites, birth and death. So people understood the perishable world to be God. It's a misunderstanding, isn't it? Why is it a misunderstanding? Perishable, imperishable, supreme, Uttama Purusha. God is not subject to change. God is not affected by the pairs of opposites. Birth and death doesn't affect God. So, to get rid of that misunderstanding, they introduced that God was imperishable. It was changeless. It's the substratum, meaning the foundation that supported the world and not the world itself. Just to alleviate that misunderstanding. Because it does not function on the laws of the world, not affected by the laws. So this gives the impression that God is the foundation of the world, and that's it. Not beyond the world. Now, does everyone understand up to this? Please tell me, I can repeat it many times, it's not a problem. It's important that you get your head around it. Anyone want to explain what I've just said? Does that, do you understand what has been said? It's okay. I don't, if you don't get it, it's fine because you know you have to read it and study it so many times to understand this concept. It is deep. They said this world is God. Why? Because you only know the world. You don't know anything beyond. 
So, but you misunderstand thinking this world is God. Therefore, it has the same qualities, subject to the same laws. It's changing, perishing, and they say, no, 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 no. That isn't God. This world isn't God. It's the substratum that supports this world is God. Not the world itself. Ah, okay. It's what supports the world. Okay, I understand now. They don't really, but okay, we understand. But then that gives the impression, misunderstanding, God is confined just to this world. It supports its world, and that's it. Correct? Okay, well, you're getting it? So that's also misunderstanding. Why is that a misunderstanding? God is the foundation of the world. It gives you the impression. And that's it. Why is it a misunderstanding? Think. One of the qualities of Brahman. Rajesh, I think you know, isn't it, Rajesh? I heard you whisper it to Bella. Tell all of us. Well, it's one of the qualities of God, Brahman. One key quality, all of you know. You'll kick yourself when I tell you. Brahman, God is. Dharmesh, help me out. Uh, it's unchangeable. Unchangeable, yeah. Uh, forever running, I suppose, is the word. The word I'm using, the word I need is. Huh? Atma. Atma is true, yes. But to explain that this that Brahman is not just the sub, not just the foundation to this world. See, people are understanding that first of all, people understood this world, they said this world is God. So they automatically thought, okay, this world is God, therefore it must be subject to all the laws of God, of, of the world, correct? Changing, birth, death, everything. They said, no, 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 no. This world is God, but God is the substratum, the foundation of this world. They said, okay, so then God must be confined to this world. They said, no, no, no. God is? Hmm? Just nothing? It's all pervading, which means... Thank, thank you very much. I don't have to say any more. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> God is all-pervading. What does that mean? It's beyond the world. It's all-pervading. So then to separate God from the world, they said God was beyond the perishable, beyond the imperishable. God is all-pervading. God is the supreme being. Shara Akshara Uttama Purusha. Does that make sense? Beyond the world. Okay, let me bring it down to worldly terms. We look at the planets in the solar system. How many planets are there? How many planets in our solar system? 
I didn't know I had Googled it, by the way, so I cheated. Eight. <laughs> I thought it was seven. I checked it this morning, it's eight. We are on the Earth. We're on Earth. The third planet from the sun. Just to get to the next planet, it takes years to travel, Mars. How many solar systems are there? How many galaxies are there? God is all pervading. Beyond all the galaxies, beyond all the solar system. Does that give you an idea now? Okay, so all pervading. Not just confined to this world. See, depending on your level of development, you'll understand those three descriptions. If you have no knowledge, they're told, this world is God, that's it. Okay, I understand this world is Brahman, this world is Maya, this world is God. You have a bit more knowledge, you may be able to understand this world, the Brahman is the substratum of this world, it supports this world, this earth. This planet, this world. Oh, okay, so it's separate from the world in the sense it's not subject to the laws. Okay, then a person who can understand more, they say God is beyond this world. It's all pervading. So depending on your level of understanding, your level of knowledge, you'll be able to identify. Any questions? Does it give you some idea? Roman? Good? Good. Swamiji gives another example. He says, man in a wheelchair has lived all his life on the 40th floor of a tower, tower block. He's never been out. You visit him and you're talking to him. And in your conversation, you use this word mud. And this man says, what is mud? What is this mud you're talking about? He's always lived his whole life on the 40th floor. Never been out. How do you explain mud? How do you explain mud to someone who's never been out of the... Same thing we're trying to explain Brahman, yeah? So he says, what is this mud? And you start scratching your head. How do I explain mud? In the apartment, he has three clay pots in different colors for decoration. You say, that is mud. These pots, pointing at the pots. What does he understand? That mud is round in shape in this color. He understands mud as being that, correct? Is mud that? You say, no, that is not mud. You smash one of the pots and it's in pieces. You crumble it, you make it into powder and you say, this is mud. This is the imperishable. The pot was the perishable. This powder, this is the imperishable. This is the imperishable aspect of the perishable pot, which is mud. So he now understands mud to be this powder that once, once a pot. 
you say no that's not that's just not not, not mud just that you take him to the window and you show him some fields far away there's a football pitch fields where they're growing whatever they're growing and you say you see all that that's all mud Shara Akshara Uttama Purusha. Another example. Do you think understand the example? The three examples we've given. Does that make sense? Damash? Might is not just confined to the pot. It's all over. Similarly, Brahman is all-pervading. Fourth example. This is a good one. Ravi. Do you want to read, Ravi? Next paragraph. The free, free word explanation has been carefully introduced by starting from what is best known to you. You perceive the world before you. All your experiences confined therein. You have no idea of Brahman. You are in the position of a weary traveler who sees a mirage in the desert and has no clue of what a desert is. He sees water, not the hot sand beneath. Standing in the midst of a vast desert, he asks what a desert is like. You point out the mirage that he sees and tell him that is, that is it. He misunderstands the desert to be just water. You correct him that the water is just an illusion projected upon the desert. The desert is what which supports the water. The water is the phenomenon that passes away, while the hot sand beneath is the actual desert that stays there. The mirage water is the perishable, while the sand below is the imperishable aspect of the desert. And now he misconstrues the entire desert to be confined to the area of the mirage. You correct him again, you further elucidate that the desert lies as a vast expanse of sand even beyond the perishable mirage and the imperishable sand beneath it. Desert is all around. So does Brahman pervade the perishable and the imperishable facets of terrestrial world and beyond into, into the transcendental. Third example, fourth example. Has anyone seen a mirage? Does everyone, anyone, does everyone know what a mirage is? We saw one, didn't we? We saw one uh, when we were in Egypt. We were on a coach. And it's desert everywhere, both sides. And suddenly this illusion appears out of nowhere in the distance. And it looks so real palm trees, water. We know it's a mirage. 
but it looks so real. You'd think it was there. You'd want to go there. That's how real it is. But it's just an illusion, isn't it? Mirage is an illusion. So what is this paragraph saying? It's trying to explain what we're trying to understand about this Shara Akshara Uttama Purusha. Giving an example. A weary traveler sees a mirage in a desert. He has no clue what a desert is. He's never been in a desert. He sees this mirage. He sees water. He doesn't see the sand beneath. And standing there, he asks, what is a desert like? His friend, what is a desert like? He sees the mirage. You point out the mirage that he sees and you tell him, that is it. That's the desert. He misunderstands the desert to be just water, that palm trees, that bit of water. He thinks that is the desert. You correct him. The water is just an illusion. It's projected upon the desert. The mirage is projected on the desert, isn't it? So you say, no, 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 that's not the desert. That's just an illusion. The desert is that which supports the water, that mirage. The illusion passes away. The water won't be there. It'll go away. If you go near, it'll go away. But below the mirage, the sand below, that is the imperishable aspect of the desert. That is the substratum, the foundation of the mirage, the sand below it. So now he thinks the entire desert to be confined in the area of the mirage, that is the desert. What supports the mirage? You correct him again. You further elucidate. Look around. The desert lies as a vast expanse of sand, even before, beyond the perishable mirage and the imperishable sand beneath it. Desert is all around. So does Brahman pervade the perishable and the imperishable facets of the terrestrial world and beyond into the transcendental. So if we take this example of the mirage, the world is projected on the imperishable Brahman, just as the mirage is projected on the imperishable desert. This world is projected on the imperishable Brahman. Brahman is all pervading beyond the world, just as the desert is beyond the mirage. See, you have to think about it. It's so subtle, you have to think about it. You won't get the depth of it until you study it. Any questions? Yeah, my faithful one has a question. In the mic. If we ourselves are perishable, mm -hmm. and we are always in the perishable world, we've got a little knowledge of the imperishable now, 
actually the capacity to, we can say we've got the knowledge, but the capacity to always have that understanding of the, a changing phenomena when everything around us is always changing. Hmm. It seems like impossible. It is impossible. 99% impossible, but there's that 1% of hope that it is possible. Concentrate on the 1% and not the 99%. Yeah, but we're concentrating on something that's already perishable, which Absolutely. is our mind and intellect. This is the battle. Otherwise, it'd be easy. This is the battle. That's why the sages, these great saints, used to live in the caves, in, away from any distractions to the mind and intellect, to the mind, especially in the five senses, so they can concentrate. Yes, but we're not going to be able to do that. We have to. I'm stay going in next this week. World. We have to be in this world. So to kind of say that that's why they did it, fair enough, they did it, but we're not able to do that. How do I answer this question? because we're not able to do it. She's right, it's difficult. And as the world develops materially, it goes down spiritually. It's a constant battle we have to fight. How do you negate the unreal when it's so powerful? We ourselves are unreal. Yeah. So it's not easy. So what do you do? Give up? What's the choice? Do we give up? We're saying it's difficult. And it is. She's right. It is difficult. But you have to have one thing. And you always say it. Faith. I'm using her own words to answer her question. You need faith. The faith that these sages are right. The faith that this knowledge will give me peace and happiness. The faith that this knowledge will help me become a better human being. Just aim for that, aim for that. Don't worry about anything else. Just aim for happiness if you want, peace and happiness. Then if you can't understand the goal, just understand that it will give me peace and happiness, and that's it. It'll make my relationship better with my partners, my children, my neighbors. What I'm looking for, peace and happiness, this will give it to me. Have that faith. Money won't bring you peace and happiness. This knowledge will, I can assure you. We've been through that exercise already. If wealth was going to make you happy, the richest man would be the wealthiest. I think Bezos is just getting divorced, isn't he? Obviously, he wasn't happy with all the wealth. So why are we going for that? So just have that faith. Forget the goal. One step at a time. Because if you want to understand 
the example given. Does everyone have some idea of what Brahman is? Any questions? You'll look frazzled. <laughs> okay, next paragraph. Three schools of thought. Okay, this we conclude now to this uh, topic, this chapter. So there's three schools of thought about this knowledge, and we're going to just quickly go over that. Ready. Three schools of thought. There are three schools of thought which explain the relation between a human being and God. They are known as the Veda dualism, Advaita, monism, and Vishta Advaita, qualified monism. The school of dualism states that you are separate from God. You are a finite being. God is infinite. That you can never become one with God. Madhacharya is the chief exponent of the dualism theory. The school of monism lays down the absolute oneness of God. That there can be no division or demarcation in the absolute. The finite has no separate status in the infinite. You cannot be separate from God. You are God. That is the philosophy enunciated by Adisankacharya. The school of qualified monism considers you as an aspect of God. God is whole and you are a part of the whole. You will remain apart and can never merge with God. Ramunacharya propounded this theory. The three schools seem to be con con contrasting, contradicting one another. Ironically, all three exponents have derived their philosophies from the same textbooks of Vedanta. Each tried to prove his point using the authority of these ancient texts. There is no use relying on authorities. You must make use of the views of these great masters and arrive at your own conclusion. So what this uh, paragraph is saying, that there's three thoughts to explain the relationship of God and human beings. All these three thoughts stem from the same philosophy, but all three are contradictory to each other. It's amazing that one book person can read and interpret it in different ways. So it's just exploring these ideas. One, dualism. That states that a human is separate from God. Madhvacharya, he said that no, human is separate from God. God is infinite. Human is finite. One can never become one with God. That's his perspective. This is interesting because this is why all the religions are different. The second thought is monism. It states that there is no separation, there is no difference. There's only one God and we are God. Adishankacharya, this is what we're following. This is a thought we are following. 
This is the thought in Bhagavad Gita, Adishankacharya's thoughts. And the third is qualified monism. This states we are part of God. We can never merge with God. Ramunacharya. He propagated that. So all three states a different relationship between a human being and God. And all three came to the different conclusion after studying the same book on Vedanta. Different ideas from the same book. So he's saying, forget all that. We must make our own conclusion. We have to decide what's right. Use the knowledge to move forward on our spiritual path. Reach the state of self-realization. So those are three ideas that people have come forward with after reading the same book. One is saying we are separate from God. We can never become God. One is saying we are God. We're part of him. And one saying we are different. So he's saying what did Hanuman, what did Hanuman state? Interesting to study Hanuman's view on the relationship between a human and God. Hanuman is acclaimed as the greatest devotee, Bhakta of Lord Rama. His life symbolized the ultimate in devotion to God. He gave the impression that the immortal God was far removed from his mortal self. Human is separate from God. And yet, when asked how he was related to God, he answered thus, Deha bhavena dasosmi, jiva bhavena padam shaka. Atma bhavena vam ivaham. When I consider my body, I'm your servant. When I consider my mind, I'm part of you. But when I consider myself, you and I are one. Even the proverbial bhakta has declared that he and God are one. On attaining spiritual enlightenment, you become one with the supreme reality, emerge with God. So what Hanuman that is saying is that in the material world, he's a servant. Rama, I'm your servant. My body is your servant. When it comes to my mind and intellect, I'm similar to you. But the self, Atma is everywhere. We are the same. Atma in you is the same Atma in me. We are one. Yeah. So we are all one. There is no difference. And he's the greatest devotee to Ram Bhagwan. And he's saying, me and you are one. Last paragraph. Any questions? Last paragraph. Even the parovial Bhakta has declared that he and God are one. On attaining spiritual enlightenment, you become one with the supreme reality. You merge with God. Different schools of philosophy, different versions of truth, different knowledges of God have all turned into stone walls obstructing the vision of reality. Ironically, they are meant to aid your vision. Hence, you must carefully reflect upon, understand the truths embedded in them, Convert the opaque stones into transparent lenses to gain the vision 
of the reality, attain spiritual enlightenment. Saying all these three different ideas about God, different perspectives from different philosophers, so much fighting going on between these three thoughts, all these different religions, saying this is God, that is God, God is like this, God is like that. No one actually knows. How are we regularly, regular worldly people ever supposed to understand what God is? It's impossible. Who do we believe? You have to pursue it yourself. It's the only way. Study it, learn it, understand it, pursue it. They all act as stone walls for us to understand what God is, all these different religions. See, these three philosophers reading the same book came up with the three different thoughts. And they're philosophers. How many religions are there? They all have a different idea of what God is. How are we supposed to get in our vision of God? How are we supposed to understand what God is? This is the battle. Any questions? Kevin. Okay, that's the end of the top chapter, by the way. Yeah, so I have a question. Yeah. Um, you know, earlier in the book, we mentioned that we have different, we all have different personalities. Um, and based on our personality to achieve uh, this knowledge, and you'd follow the different types of yoga, whether it's Nana yoga, Karma yoga, or Bhakti yoga. I wanted to know, is there any relationship between our personality and sort of the school of thought that we'd be inclined to? Whether we, whether we accept either that dualism or monism and like, I don't know if that's sort of a, if it's the right question, but is there any sort of relation in that sort of view? Yes and no, see, the problem is when you asked me this question, um, you went from the very basics of a personality to the other heart to the other spectrum <laughs> yeah so to answer your first half of the question um the three yogas karma bhakti jnana path given is to eradicate your desires those three paths were given to eradicate your desires which is the first hurdle of spiritual development because with desires, it's difficult, and all the desires are worldly. So it's difficult to focus on God. God is beyond the world. All your desires are pertaining to the world. So first of all, they're given these three yogas to eradicate your desires. And that's based on your personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that okay? Sure? Yeah. Okay. So now you've eradicated your desires. Okay. You're now thinking of Brahman. Okay. Brahman is like this. Brahman is like that. Three schools of thoughts. Which one do I believe? Which one do I follow? Now you're at an elevated level. You're highly developed. You're no longer interested in the world. You're, inter you're only interested in spiritual development, spiritual pursuit. I want to reach my goal as a human being. Which way do I go? Okay. You, you, you with me? 
So now what they're saying is that use your own intellect. You read, understand this knowledge, you make your own decision and you follow that. Okay. We're following Adi Shankaracharya's perspective because this, the guru who wrote all these books, his guru, his guru's guru, followed Adi Shankaracharya. So this is the lineage that we're following. If anybody asks, you're studying Vedanta, which perspective are you studying? Adi Shankaracharya. That's what you're studying. Now, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand sort of like, cause this, cause I've come across this topic of the different school of thoughts before, but I guess it's probably quite an advanced topic to understand why they, why they are different thoughts and sort of how, how each one proves their thoughts are correct, right? Um, Same as saying why there's so many different religions. It's similar to that, but it's more subtle level. Yeah, there's three schools of thought. How many religions are there? Everyone's saying this is the right religion. This is what God is. Yeah. Okay. So it's the same thing, but at the more subtle level. So just rise above religions. You, all of you now studying this subject, some of you have been studying this for three years. You should have gone past that stepping stone from religious perspective. And now you're pursuing the spiritual path, spiritual perspective, because you all are intellectual to a certain degree. Otherwise you wouldn't be here for three years. I don't know what this Makwas, this guy is talking. Let me go to my temple and sing some bhajans. Yeah, the fact that you're all here still means that you're interested in your intellectuals. <laughs> so therefore, you need to rise above that and start thinking, understanding, making decisions based on your understanding and following that pursuit, following that path. Yeah, I just wanted to add, I think it's quite fascinating that they read the same scriptures and they came away with different thoughts. So it's more about us just finding, you know, we're following this because we, we come into your classes, but had we been maybe just going to a different person's class, we might be learning the same knowledge, but from a different, you know, probably, but just coming to the different conclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? I wouldn't worry about the three different conclusions because none of us are there. None of us have come to the stage where we think, am I separate from God or am I God? Mm. Yeah, so don't worry about the three conclusions. We've no, just I'm, I'm thinking about the very learned sages that came to that conclusion. You know, it's just amazing. It's amazing because everyone's understanding is different, everyone's a different person. You know, Kevin. I was gonna say this seems like it might actually be like a close to impossible task, right? Because it feels like the, the only way to do this is understand each of the school of thoughts. So study each one in depth, understand how they've come to their conclusion. And then only can you make an informed decision yourself on what you, what, what your feeling is. Right. And, and what that's, it's quite a, quite a difficult, difficult task, right? That's not a, something easy because now, we're saying 
like through these classes for the last year or however many months we've been joining, it's like we're saying like we're trying to achieve this in our lifetime, but now we've been slapped by saying, well, you need to do three of these and then make the right choice. Do you get what I'm saying? It's a, I don't know, it feels a bit impossible. <laughs> oh, well, you don't have to do three of those things. Just have faith that I'll be guided to the right based on my cause and effect, my vastness, my interest, I'll be guided to, I have, I, I surrender to that higher being, which I don't understand. I surrender, I will do my best and he will guide me or she will guide me to my goal. And also it might take many lifetimes to, you know, study each different school of thought. So, and they all, all, all aiming at, you know, a higher, and to you know find the self that message is consistent in all three schools of thought exactly Maybe just focusing on that might make our lives a little easier and having faith see that's exactly just concentrate on becoming a better human being one key to spiritual development and i've said this many many times unselfishness the more you become unselfish, the more you're developing spiritually. That is a marker. The more selfish you become, the further you are going away from spirituality. The more unselfish you become, the more you're developing spiritually. That's a marker and the guidance. Moral compass within you. Keep that in mind and you're going in the right direction. If you're going in the right direction, what will happen? Eventually, you'll reach that goal. You'll reach that goal when you're meant to. Just follow the path, follow the right direction, based on what these great sages have said. So, what we've studied today gives you a snapshot of what Brahman is, some idea of what Brahman is. As you said, it's impossible to explain in words, known to the unknown. That's what we've covered today. So you should have some idea of what Brahman God is. You won't find these examples, these descriptions anywhere. Definitely not, not in religions. This is the truths. Truths of the reality. Great questions. Any other questions? Okay, well, don't worry about it. Listen to Bijal, whatever she says, be unselfish. <laughs> You're on the path. <laughs> so, I just wanted to ask about next yeah. Sunday, is there a talk by Swamiji then, is there? I believe so, yes. So if you register, um, and I think he's going to do a live talk. So please register. I think um, Ravi has put it on the group. I was going to mention that. Thank you for reminding me, Arunabin. Do you know how long it is? Uh, is it probably an hour? No. Yeah, maximum an hour it'll be. He's at that age now where ninety-four, I think he is. So, but it's a good opportunity to um, see him. So, look, think about what's been said today. If anybody has any further questions or want to discuss it further, Wednesday is available. Uh, just post a question on Tuesday. Um, it, and we can discuss it further in more detail or trying to get a better understanding. The next chapter is That Thou Art, You Are God. And we're going to try and 
understand that. So can I ask you a question because the next chapter is even more subtle. Um, how was today's class? Did you, was it beyond understanding? I mean, I can dilute it more or um, did you find it was okay? Was it okay? Yeah, for me it was okay. Yeah, I, I think it's going to require reading as well for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. This is. I'm just giving a synopsis of the chapter and trying to explain it in detail as much as I can. Okay, because I I will try and keep it at this consistency then. Nobody others. <laughs> no, it'll be fine. If one person is there, that's okay with me. Everyone can. Everyone can catch up. Okay, great. So if you have any questions on today's class, Yakko? Uh, I was going to say, um, I know for a few weeks now we've been saying as we get towards the end of this book, we're going to move on to the Gita. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you sort of which version of the Gita would be best. So I'd like to obviously have a copy in advance so that uh, I'm not sure. Well, all Gitas are the same as far as the um, the verses are concerned. So any verse, any book you pick up will have the same verses. Okay. But the commentary where, that following... where it differs is the commentary. So best to stud, have a, a Swami Patasati's version because that's the one we're going to be studying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Run a bit. Yeah, I just wanted to say that we are using uh, Swami Parthasarathy's Gita version, and I think it's the best I've come across. It's got very good explanations and commentary, and so certainly I, I assume you're going to be following that one. That's the one. That's the one I studied, so that's logically the one I'm going to. It's a be very following. good version for sure. And uh, do we get it from Amazon? Do we want more? You can. Yeah. How you do can we get it from Amazon? Okay. Um, that's the one we're going to be studying, and the and the reason is because everything we've done so far qualifies us to understand the Gita more thoroughly now, because you know we've covered a lot of the concepts. Um, I mean, what we're studying in this chapter and the next chapter uh, is actually beyond the Gita, the depth of it. So we're going to tune it down again uh, when we come to the Gita. Yeah, Arjuna for folk, for folk is uh, despondent and we need to, Krishna has to explain to him everything again that we've gone through. Why? When you'll be starting those classes? Depends on uh, how long, how many, how many classes we, fin you, we take to finish the last chapter on this book. I would say maybe four, three to four. Three to four weeks time we'll start Bhagavad Gita. Um, we'll be... Um, Advertising it under Samaj, the Samaj and everything. So anybody wants to join, they can join. And all of you, by the way, if anybody you know who might be interested, let them know as well. We've got a flyer out. The classes will probably last three or four years on the Gita, just to give you an idea. Sometimes one hour for one verse it takes, depends on how deep it is, but it's thoroughly enjoyable. There's a story attached to it, that's why. We all love stories. Okay, great. Thank you for joining us, all of you. Have a great Sunday.